0: 1 Samuel chapter number 30, and we'll be reading responsively from verse 1 down through verse number 6. I'll begin in verse 1. We'll begin reading together in verse 2 and then read together verses 2, 4, and 6. The Bible says, beginning in 1, it says, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. Together, verse 2. And he had taken the woman captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelite and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people's sake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. I want to bring a message this morning entitled this, Your Day of Discouragement. Your Day of Discouragement. Let's pray. Lord, I pray the message this morning would be a great help to everyone here. Some need it. Many, many here need it. A sermon like this today. And then, Lord, others. uh, They're standing on a mountaintop and their life seemingly has little to no problems. But, Lord, we all know that where we stand on a mountaintop, the valley is just on the other side. So we pray, Lord, that those that don't need it today will tuck it away. ...for their future day of discouragement. Lord, encourage our hearts through your word. We're thankful for the church house where we can be encouraged. uh, Just the synergy in the room of being around each other. But Lord, we pray that your word would do a lot of lifting up hurting hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. C.R. Hembry tells a story about a young Midwestern lawyer... ...who suffered such deep depression and discouragement that his friends thought it wise to keep all knives and razors away from him. During this time, this lawyer wrote, I am now the most miserable man living. Whether I shall ever be better, I cannot tell. I awfully forebode, I shall not. Well, that man was wrong. He did recover. And he became one of America's most loved presidents, his name, Abraham Lincoln. The devil, according to legend, once advertised his tools for sale at a public auction. When the prospective buyers assembled, there was one oddly shaped tool which was labeled not for sale. Asked to explain why this was, the devil answered, I can spare my other tools, but I cannot spare this one. It is, the mo- it is the most useful implement that I have. This tool is called discouragement. And with it, I can work my way into hearts that would otherwise be inaccessible. When I get this tool into a man's heart, the way uh, is open to plant anything there that I may desire. Two years ago, I developed a method of sermon preparation where I'd go away for uh, three to four days, three, four, five days, and get by myself with a a prayer list, a Bible, and a preaching calendar. And I would hang an idea on the uh, different dates of the calendar for the next 12 months or the upcoming year. I do that every fall. And since I've been doing that, I I rarely ever, if ever, waver from my preaching calendar, I preach what is scheduled to be preached all the way through the end of the year. I have today decided to waver away from what I had scheduled to preach. And instead, I uh, feel led, very led by the Lord to preach uh, this message today. So this is somewhat spontaneous, but uh, very much prayed over. And I believe that God wants to use this message to help a bunch of folks uh, today who are discouraged. As the pastor, I do my best to keep my finger on the pulse of the church. And uh, there are a whole bunch of you here today that are carrying some pretty heavy things. You're hurting on the inside. And uh, maybe I know about it or a couple of other people know about it. No one else knows about it. You come to church and you put on a good face and, and do your best to smile and be an encouragement to others. But deep down inside, you're hurting. There are others of you here today, you are in your day of discouragement and you're struggling, uh, but I don't know about it and really no one here at the church knows about it. You're a private person and you keep things like uh, this close to the vest. Wherever you are today, you know, whatever the reason why you're discouraged, I want, the, I, I want to take the Bible and the story of David and show you that no matter how dark the clouds that are hanging over your head, uh, God can help you to make it through, and you can be encouraged. Many of you here today are discouraged, and I'll say this for a variety of reasons. Some of you here today are dealing with sickness. Um, sickness in your own body, sickness in the body of a loved one, and it's just really got you wore down and discouraged. Some are dealing with death in the family. I mentioned the three folks at the beginning of the service who've recently had a loved one pass. Others have fallen on hard times financially or the concept of financial uncertainty is lingering in their near future or maybe even there now and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, you don't see a path ahead to do it and you you're discouraged because of that. Some are spiritually empty because your life has gotten out of balance and you're here this morning, but you're spiritually quite carnal and uh, you're empty and you feel uh, discouraged and down and uh, uh, depressed and, and, and just uh, ne- needing a shot in the arm spiritually. Others are dealing with the heartache of a wayward child. Many of you here today are dealing with the heartache of an adult child that is not living their life the way that you had raised them uh, to live their life, and it is hurting you down inside it 's a constant burden that you carry. I can think back in my life to times where um, I have been down, uh, hurt, depressed, sad, and even when i 'm smiling on the outside, my heart hurts on the inside. How many of you here know what i 'm talking about? You know what i 'm talking about? Uh, it just hurts. And even when you're not thinking about it, it's just there. It's there. You go to bed with it, you wake up with it, and you're in your day of discouragement. I propose that one of the beautiful things about the Bible are the stories and the characters in those stories that uh, with with whom we can relate. There is very little that you can face in your life right now that someone hasn't gone through, some Bible character hasn't gone through as well. I propose that when life has kicked you in the mouth, that you turn to God's Word to find the answers on how to respond and how to make it through. So, this morning what I would like to do is I would like for us to look at three main thoughts as we discuss the vital topic Of how to handle your day of discouragement. And these three thoughts will revolve around the life of david david like so many other bible characters his life was a roller coaster ride it was up and it was down it was happy and it was sad there were times where righteousness reigned in his life and evil oppressed in his life and i believe today as we look at david's journey david's uh david's uh, uh, roller coaster ride of life all of us will be able to relate with David in some way, and I hope as we get back over to 1 Samuel 30, toward the end of the message, that you will follow David's example and find that encouragement in the Lord, that uh, that uh, just as he did. Let's jump in this morning and begin looking at point number one, David's... Discovery. David's discovery. Now, uh, David was just a... Turn over to 1 Samuel 16 in your Bibles there. David was just a lad like many other lads like him who had been assigned to the field to raise the sheep. Now, his father, Jesse, had a whole bunch of children. And just like uh, farmers of yesteryear and even some farmers today have lots of children, David's dad was a farmer and he had lots of children. You say, well, well, why would you have lots of children as a farmer? because that's called free labor, right? Uh, we, uh, we, rented a, we rented an area to do our men's camp out, and the gentleman that is running that, that uh, farm, he inherited it from his father, and he has no children. And uh, he just seemed stressed out the whole time I was around him. And he said, "It is hard to come by good help." And I said, "Well, help of, uh, of yesteryear they would have had nine children, and then that would have been their help. You train them from the time they're little." But David's dad had a bunch of boys because he had uh, animals to take care of and tend to. And David, like many other boys, his age, was out in a field, tending to the sheep, uh, 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 taking care of them. And uh, nobody knew at that time, really, in the grand scheme of things, things who David was, but God knew who David was, and God saw David's heart. He saw the relationship that was being developed uh, with him through David as David began to seek out the heart of God. And God made sure that David's number was dialed when the time was right. Letter A, notice God's plan. God's plan. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse number 10. We'll read it in just a moment here, but let me just say leading up to this that Saul was the king of Israel and Saul had sinned against God and had forfeited the right to be uh, Israel's king and also forfeited the right of his lineage to lead in that kingdom. And so God had sent Samuel, to, uh, who was Israel's prophet, to ordain David as a young man. To be the next king. And so uh, Samuel arrives at the doorstep of Jesse's house. And knows that all Jesse knows when he arrives. Is that it's going to be one of Jesse's sons. So one at a time from the eldest on down. They came by. And these boys were impressive on the outside. But uh, we know the famous verse in 16 here. Is uh, uh, man looketh on the outward appearance. But God looketh upon or seeth the heart. Remember, and God said, I see in their heart, and these aren't the ones. And man's reasoning is that it's to be the firstborn, it's to be the eldest, and if not, the secondborn. And God went all the way through, and it was none of those boys. Look at verse number 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for he, uh, we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. This is David. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up. And went to Ramah. David was the youngest of the eight boys. He was uh, he was the one that uh, was not even considered a possibility. And when uh, when uh, 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 Jesse David showed, or rather, when Samuel showed up at Jesse's house and said, "I'm going to anoint one of your boys to be the next king," he didn't even bother with getting David out of the field. He said, "It can't be David. It's got to be one of my oldest seven. And after they were done with all seven, he looks and says. Do you have any more sons? Surely you have to have another son. God says it's none of these. Well, I do have the runt in the field, David. Go get him. So here comes David, and boy, he's smiling and happy. He's a redheaded boy, and we all know redheads are special, right? And so here comes David into the presence. Any redheads in the room? I'm looking around, making sure I didn't offend anybody. Amen? Uh, There's one back there. You're, You're sort of, Reggie, you're sort of redheaded. That explains a lot. You're not offended. Okay, not yet. I'll I'll get you before the service is over. But here comes David into the room. He's got a goodly countenance on him, and, and and God says to Samuel, He says, That's the one. He's the next king. And so he uh David is just in the field tending the sheep. He's a little nobody and 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 now he's having oil dumped on his head and being told, You are Israel's next king, just a teenage boy. Can you imagine with that journey back to the field? to work with those sheep must have been like. Can you imagine how he laid in the field that night trying to sleep and his mind racing a million miles an hour? I am going to be Israel's next king? How can this be? Letter B, look at David's perspective. David's perspective. So David David is in the field working in uh, uh, one of the military generals, shows up at Jesse's house and says, "...the Philistines are coming at us, it's time to go to war. And we need to gather up your sons and, and head off to war." And David grabs his, 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 his slingshot and he says, "...all right, let's go!" And Dad says, "...no, you're not old enough yet." Go back to the field and keep working with those sheep. So the seven older brother, his seven older brothers rather, head off to the field and David is left tending the sheep. After some time away, uh, Jesse comes to David and says, listen, take this food to your brothers. Find out how they're doing And come back and report to me. So David shows up and you all, most of you all here are familiar with the story, but David shows up to the battlefield and things have sort of come to a halt. There is a giant named Goliath who comes out a couple of times a day. You've got the Israelites up on one hill. You've got the Philistines up on the other hill. Goliath comes out, beats his chest every day. He's a nine foot, nine inch tall giant and he says, send me a man to fight. I defy the the armies of the living God. He's cursing God. He says, "Send me a man to fight. If if I beat your guy on a one-on-one mano a mano, then you all will be our servants. If you beat uh, if you beat me, then we'll be your servants." And all of the men, they go and they tremble in fear at the size of Goliath. Goliath's reputation was fierce. He had never lost a battle. And uh, the Bible says that even his even his um, uh, spear, the pole of it was the size of a weaver's beam. That's that center core in a roll of carpet. That's a weaver's beam. That's how big his pole was. Goliath was so big, he had a guy who would stand in front of him with a shield just to protect his lower half. David shows up and he's giving the food to his brothers and out comes Goliath, beating his chest, cursing God. Send me a man to fight! And everyone runs in hides. And David says, hey you big bully! Who do you think you are defying my God? And I can see Eliab, his older brother, him and saying, shut up David, get over here. David's pulling away and saying, who do you think you are to talk about my God like that? I love it when people stand up for God. David walks around and he says, "Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause?" Well, word gets back to Saul that this little teenage boy, he he's so uh, either he's so godly or he's lost his mind, and he's willing to go in that valley and fight that giant. So he's brought in the presence of Saul and Saul says, OK, well, if you're going to go out and fight him, you need to have armor on. So Saul's a giant man. The Bible says he was uh, head and shoulders taller than the other Israelites. And so that would have put him uh, considering the average height of a Hebrew man that would have probably put him at about five foot ten. Is that not right? Am I picking on Hebrews being short? You all are asleep this morning. You need to wake up or pretend to laugh at my jokes, OK, even if they're not funny. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right, uh, and so, uh, but he puts on the armor of day, or puts on Saul's armor, and it's just hanging off of him. And he says, "Look, I can't go to war with your weapons. I need to go to war with my weapons." So he goes and he gets a, a handful of rocks, and he's 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 putting them in his satchel pocket, and he's got his sling, and down into the valley he goes to fight this giant. Goliath is a is a seasoned veteran of war, a fierce giant. David is a short little, freckled face, red haired teenager with no armor and just a a a slingshot and some rocks. And into the valley he goes, and you say, How could David Do that. Again, let her be David's perspective. Look at verse 41 of 1 Samuel 17. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou shouldest come to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give thy flesh and the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Basically, I'm going to rip you limb for limb and feed the birds with your body. And then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with the sword and with the spear. Here's the perspective. And with the shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air and under the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel he said you're going to feed my body to the birds so you think I'm going to feed yours and the rest of the army behind you to the animals he said hey you might be bigger than me but the God that's standing behind you is so much bigger than you you don't stand a chance Because he's on my side. David had a perspective that the rest of the Israelites couldn't see. They saw the giant and David saw the God behind the giant. And boy, that attitude would define much of David's young life. David goes down in the valley. He pulls out a stone. He sticks that in that sling. I've heard say that God guided that rock to the Goliath's forehead, and that very well may be. We may get to heaven and find out. But here's what I know from studying the life of David: David was a prepared prepared man. David had already killed a bear and a lion, uh, 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 protecting his sheep, and so probably used that slingshot to wound them so he could kill them. But David was probably a marksman, and David probably could have hit him in the head with or without God's help. With this much I know, when that rock left, whether it was on target or not, God made sure it got to its target. And it struck Goliath right between the eyes and knocked him out cold. And David ran over and drew that giant uh, uh, sword out of the sheath and stood on top of him and chopped off his head. If Instagram had been around back then, David would have had one ear and another soldier would have had the other ear of Goliath. head and they would have been smiling. David took that head back to Saul and plopped it down right in front of him and said, Here you go. I may not be very big, but my God is much bigger. David's perspective, letter C. Notice David's popularity. Boy, here's this little shepherd boy no one knows about in a field. And Samuel shows up and he's discovered uh, and he learns of God's plan that he's going to be the next king. He walks onto the battlefield and does something that even the the, the army veterans, the military veterans of the Israeli army could not do. And now Saul sees that he's got a young Teenage boy, maybe a young adult man uh, uh, with him, and he's going to begin to give David power within his military ranks. Look at First uh, Samuel eighteen and verse number five. The Bible says, "And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of the uh, of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came." Uh, Uh, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities uh, of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And and the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul had slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Maybe a slight exaggeration, especially early on in David's military career. Verse 8, and Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. What, what's going on here? Well, David has been put in charge of the military. He is a general. Young David, who no doubt now has the respect of everybody. He is the one that went in the valley and took down the giant. His age, he may be young, but his military prowess is well beyond his years. And the Bible says in verse 5, he behaved himself wisely. Here David is and he's leading this military and they're going out and winning many battles. And they're coming back into town and uh, 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 standing in the balcony windows with the balcony windows open or maybe they're on the, the rooftop ledge, the ladies are standing there as the men come home from war and they're singing and they're dancing and they're jumping up and down and they're saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And the wrath and jealousy of Saul, who he already knows the kingdom's being taken away from him. He looks at David and he sees, I know who Israel's next king is. Boy, David enjoyed a popularity. You could say that at this moment in David's life, he is standing on a mountaintop. Is he not? He is. He has left the field. He has slain the giant. He is leading the military of the country of Israel. He is hailed and honored everywhere he goes. He walks into a restaurant and his meal is free. Boy, he couldn't be any better off than he is right here. But the wrath and anger and jealousy of Saul would quickly turn his tables. Notice number two, David's discouragement. David's discouragement. Saul had an angry spirit placed on him by God because of his sin. And that angry spirit caused him to uh, really hit a low point in his life. And he became very angry and cantankerous. And so David, who had mastered the harp while a shepherd boy, was sent into the throne room where Saul was with his angry, cantankerous spirit. And David would sit there and play the harp. And that harp music would take the angry spirit of Saul away. And so it became a habit that when Saul hit a bad mood, David, as the general and also as a musician, would go in and play his harp and settle Saul down. Well, one day, sitting there, watching David play the harp, instead of being soothed and calm, he's eyeballing David. And in his head, he's thinking to himself, how dare this little boy? This runt... Sit here and do this. This runt is going to take over my kingdom. He takes the javelin next to him. And he throws it at David in an attempt to kill him. And whizzes past David's head and it sticks in the wall. David gets up and leaves. Now, uh, you want to talk about workplace hostility. Wow! It didn't just happen once, it happened twice. David knows he's in trouble. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel that David became best friends with Jonathan, who is Saul's oldest son. The Bible says their souls were knit together. And Jonathan took up David's cause. Jonathan knew that David was going to be the next king, and Jonathan was at total peace with it. Jonathan loved David and supported David. And listen, had that not happened, this story probably would have played out quite a bit different. God still would have protected David as the next king. But, but God used that union to help protect David. After the second time, the javelin whizzed by his ear. David looks at Jonathan and says, hey, I don't think your dad's a fan. He says, uh, I think that maybe I need to get lost. He said, here's what we're going to do. He said, the new moon is coming. And every month when the new moon comes, we have a big feast, uh, in the, in the palace. He said, um, he said, I'm not gonna show up. I'm one of the, uh, king's right-hand men. I've married, even at this point, he'd married the king's daughter. He said, I'm not gonna show up. He said, um, your dad's gonna take notice and I'm gone. And when he does, uh, if he responds in an angry way that you have given me leave, then it's time for me to get lost. He said, "If he responds in a uh, happy way, or he's okay with the fact that I'm I'm gone, and there's not an angry spirit there, then maybe that means things are settling down." So sure enough, the first day David's not there. Saul says, "Well, maybe he's not feeling well." The second day he wasn't there. Saul goes to Jonathan and says, "Where's David?" And Jonathan says, well, uh, his father was having a feast and his older brother requested that he come. And so I gave him permission to be gone. And Saul gets really angry with Jonathan and pins him against the wall and says, how dare you let him not be here? Saul had every intent of killing David. And Saul even attempted to kill Jonathan for having let him go. And when now that Jonathan's life's been put at risk... Jonathan goes out in the field and through um, some secret messages with a bow and arrow and something they had planned ahead of time, the message is sent to David, you, you've, got to, you've got to go on the run, you've got to leave. David and Jonathan hug each other and kiss each other's cheeks, as was the culture back then. Men, don't try to kiss my cheeks, glory, hallelujah. Um, but that was the culture back then. And off, the, off he went, and now he became a fugitive from the law of Saul. He's being chased. I imagine there are many nights that Saul slept under a tree or in a cave and he looked up to God and said, I'm supposed to be the next king? And I'm not even welcome to my own country? Look with me at First uh, Samuel 18, verse 10. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from Saul From God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David, even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Look down at chapter 21 and verse 10. Chapter 21 and verse 10. This is after David and Jonathan have a chance to reconcile with each other. And David's left. Uh, look at chapter 21, verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul. And went, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And he would be chased around the Israeli wilderness for a long, long time. There's a couple of really interesting stories I don't have the time to get into. But a couple of times, Saul had David cornered. And David had no escape. And David was going to be killed. And all of a sudden, a messenger comes in and says to Saul, King Saul, Hey, you have armies closing in on, on the border of Israel, and you've got to get back now. And right at the last minute, right when David, Saul was going to be able to kill David, Saul was forced to turn around and leave, and God spared David's life. But, but, but David was a fugitive. He was running from the law. He uh, he had some men who believed in him that were following him. Obviously, he had his wives and children with him as he's on the run. But the discouragement is beginning to set in. Letter B, he lost his family. He lost his family. David, he, after a while, gets tired of running from Saul and sleeping in the woods and eating off the, 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 the land. And so he goes behind enemy lines he makes friends with the israelites or rather with the philistines and he's now living in philistia he's living in that land because he's made friends with someone who is part of that uh, army and david is now uh, living in that land and david says listen we're living here we need to contribute what we can and so uh, the Philistines were going to war. And David says to his, his warrior men, he says, let's go help them in their battle. So he shows up to the battle with his men. And now this Israeli man with his soldiers, they're going to fight with the Philistines. How backward is this? Boy, David has really become disoriented. Now, he's fighting with the enemy. Well, there was a smart general there who turned around and said, what? You can't let David fight with us. What if in the middle of the battle he changes his mind and then he starts turning around and killing all of us? Send him home. So David turned around and he went home. Well, when David got home, what he found is that another enemy had swept through the city where he was living and had burnt the entire city to the ground. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse number 1. Verse Samuel chapter 30. You have the setting here. David is risen to the top. He's been chased around the wilderness. He's tired. He's weary. He's landed in a foreign country. He's convinced to even start fighting for the wrong side, the wrong team. He leaves his wife and his children behind. His men leave their wives and children behind. They saddle up. They satchel up. They go to war. And then they're sent home. And they get back. And here's what they find. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the amalekites had invaded the south and ziklag had uh, and smitten ziklag and burned it with fire ziklag is the city they're living in where they left their wives and children and he took and had the amalekites had taken the women captives that were therein they slew not any by the way david at the time didn't know that they slew not any either great or small but carried them away and went on their way So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. All their possessions are burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept, until they had no more power to weep. Look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. David was greatly distressed. Have you ever been tempted to look up to heaven and say, God, have you lost control? My life is so in shambles and you promised to take care of me. You promised to take care of me. You promised to look after me. You promised to love me. How can you let this happen to me? How could you let this loved one of mine pass? How could you allow me to lose my job? Don't, if you love me, don't you know what's at stake with the loss of this job? How could you allow my child to wander so far astray and make such a mess of things? God, if you love me, why? Imagine David got back and he sat down and he's looking at his house that's charred, burnt, All of his possessions are either taken or or burned with fire. His wife and children are gone. And he sits down in the ash. He says, I was anointed to be king. I'm in a foreign land. I'm a fugitive in my own country. My wife and kids are gone. Boy, it's getting ugly for, for David, isn't it? But he's not quite done. Letter C, notice... He was losing his followers. Now, you have to understand the gravity of this. David, at his peak, was the general of the army of Israel. Some of those men were so loyal to David that when David and Saul split, they left the Israeli army and they stayed with their commander. They stayed with their general. And they followed him. They became fugitives with him. These men are as loyal to David as it gets. But now that their wives and their children have been taken, even they are beginning to lose faith in their leader. Look at verse 6. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. Here David is, sitting in the ash heap. Of his home. Walking around and watching as his men weep. As their possessions are burned. And their wives and children are gone. And the men begin to get together. And they begin to talk about how. They can drag David down to a pit. And kill him with stones. David's a fugitive of the law. David's lost his family. And now David is beginning to lose his followers. His day of discouragement. His day of discouragement. Some of you may not have had it quite that bad, but boy, if we were to write down all the details of the problems that you're going through and the pain and the hurt and the suffering of your soul, you'd say, Pastor, I don't know that I can hold a stick to David, but boy, it's tough right now and my heart is sad and it hurts. I feel as though folks have betrayed me and stabbed me in the back. I feel as though I've been wronged and, and, and I'm sitting here and I'm licking my wounds. Where do I go? What do I do? Number three, notice David's decision. David's decision. Okay, David, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Do you know that when life hits you between the eyes, kicks you in the teeth, it's okay for a minute to sit and lick your wounds. It's okay for you to throw yourself a little pity party. But you can't stay there. You hear me? You can't live there. A whole lot of people will have a hard time coming their life. They walk down in the valley, and they get there, and they stay there. Because they don't want to muster up the strength to walk back up the mountaintop. And they live in the valley. Now, for David, if he had decided to stay in the valley, he would have been killed in the valley. His men would have probably drugged him in that valley and stoned him. David had to make a decision. And you have to do the same thing. Letter A, notice, he changed his attitude. Look at verse number 6. Look at the end of the verse. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David changed His attitude. I think about Paul, who is on his way to to Rome. He's under arrest. He's being taken before different kings. And he looks at, I believe, uh, I might not have the wrong leader, but I believe it was Agrippa. And he says this to him. He says, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. You know what Paul was saying there? He said, I have every reason in the world to be depressed and discouraged and down." He said, I'm going to think myself happy. Here the Bible says David encouraged himself. That doesn't mean that he stood up and he started doing the, you know, the rocky thing, bouncing around and the music didn't start playing in the background. No, David stood up and he encouraged himself in what? In the Lord. In the Lord. You know what that means? That means that when David uh, was going through a tough time in his life, instead of running to some uh, uh, secular uh, counselor or running to some uh, drug or running to some program, no, David ran to the Word of God and he buried himself in prayer. And he said, Lord, I need You to encourage my heart. He changed his attitude. He ran to the Lord and saw God do something great. There's a phrase out there that goes like this, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it. Another one, smile through the trial. Smile through the trial. And uh, I I mentioned earlier how that sometimes you're smiling on the outside, but you're broken on the inside. You know what a good habit to do is just keep on smiling. Just keep on smiling. One day, the sun is going to shine again in your heart, but you got to smile Boy, I watch some people, they, they go through life, and life's really hard on them. And, you know, I, I watch it. Life is harder on some people than others. That's just the reality of it. Some of you are in here today, life's been a whole lot harder on you than the guy next to you. It just has. Some of that might be self inflicted, some of it might not be. The rain clouds just seem to gather over your head a little bit more than the next person. You know what? God still has the power to set you free. For the rainstorms to roll away. But instead of walking around with an Eeyore type attitude, you've got to put a smile on your face. And and, and the joy of the Lord, you've got to find that in your heart. You've got to turn to God and say, Lord, my life might be tough. I'm going to double down on my Bible reading. I'm going to double down on my prayer time. I'm going to double down on my commitment to church. I'm going to double down in my effort to love you because I know that if I love you, then you'll love me back. David had to make a decision that instead of sitting there and licking his wounds and and pitching himself a pity party and living in a pity party pit, he was going to stand up and encourage himself in the Lord. Letter B. Notice he chose to take action. He chose to take action. It isn't just enough to change your visage and your demeanor. You also have to change Your actions. Look with me at verse number 6 again. And we're going to look at several verses, but just a few words in each verse. Look at verse number 6 at the end of the verse it says, But David encouraged himself. That's taking action. Look at verse 8. And David inquired. Look at verse number 9. So David went. Verse 10. But David pursued. Look down at verse 17. And David smote. Verse 18, and David recovered. Later in the verse, and David rescued. Look at verse 20, and David took. David is in the valley of despair. He's in the, he's in the pit of discouragement. What's David gonna do? Is he just gonna start thinking himself happy? No, he's also gonna stand up and he's gonna take action and he's gonna do his part. (coughs) Excuse me. He's gonna do his part to change his environment. Some of you here today, if you're in that valley of despair, discouragement, God is trying to show you in your heart some positive things that you can start doing to better your environment. But if you're going to sit down and you're going to do nothing but wring your hands and weep and and, and feel uh, sad for yourself, there's going to be a point where God says, if that's all you're going to do, there's not a lot I can do to help you. You, first have to pick your head up and encourage yourself in the Lord, then you have to stand up and take the action that God leads you to take. Now, I'm being I'm being broad and I'm being um, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being far from specific on purpose, because depending on your situation, it's different. Let me also throw this element into it, this facet into it. Sometimes God wants you to take action and when he leads you to take action, you need to take action. Other times, God wants you to sit still and let him work. You say, well, pastor, how am I supposed to know when it's my turn to stand up and take action and when it's my turn to sit and let God work? You learn that through developing a time of prayer. You pray and you ask God to show you and lead you and guide you and direct you. And when he leads you to take action, you take action. When he leads you to sit still, you sit still. But my friend, if you'll choose to take action when He so leads you to take action, He'll lead you right out of that valley of despair, right up on that mountaintop. And you'll stand there, and you won't weep tears of, uh, of sadness, you'll weep tears of joy that God has given you that victory. I watch as some of you here today, and I don't say this in a judgmental way, I say this with a broken heart, but I watch as many of you here today even, Seemingly, for the three years I've been your pastor, you've been sitting in the valley of discouragement and you seem to feel comfortable there. You're sad, but you're afraid to leave being sad because you don't remember what it was like to be happy. And I have to tell you, that's a sad way to live your life. That's a terrible way to live your life. It begins by developing a time of prayer and Bible reading. God will give you that joy and will give you that direction to take those steps. Let me give you uh, some. some, uh, Let me show you what David's actions were. First of all, notice he prayed to God. He prayed to God. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 7. So David encouraged himself in the Lord at the end of verse 6. Verse 7 And David said to Abathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And uh, and Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. Look at verse 8. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David, not sure where to go, he didn't turn to his own wisdom. He turned to the Lord in prayer and said, Lord... Should I pick up and go after my wife and children and overcome the enemy? I don't even know which direction they went, but should I do that? And God says to him, yes, you should do that. How do you know what to do when you're in your day of discouragement? And it just seems like you're in the jungle uh, of emotional weirdness and you don't even know what's up down left, right. You don't know which way to start going. You begin in prayer. You begin in prayer. That's the first thing you do. You turn to the Lord in prayer. Let me just encourage you with this as well while we're on this. I'm almost done. Let me encourage you with this. Don't wait until you are in the valley to start praying. You need to develop a prayer life while you're standing on the mountaintop of life or walking across the plateau of life. Then all of a sudden when you land in that valley of despair, that day of discouragement, God says, Oh, now you show up. Huh? Where were you when things were good? now, God will still help you if you turned Him during that time. And you do need to turn to Him even if you hadn't prior. But it is a better idea to have been walking with God prior to your arrival of that day of discouragement. He prayed to God. Next notice, He pursued the enemy. Look down at 1 Samuel chapter 30. And verse number nine, so David went, he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Bezor with uh, where uh, uh, those that were left uh, being stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men uh, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. And they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and gave him bread. And he did eat and they made uh, made him uh, drink water and they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of uh, raisins, and when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water three days and three nights. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou, and whence art thou? And he said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me, because, uh, uh, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Cherethites, and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, and upon the south of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to the company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they were spread abroad upon all. The earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them from the twilight even into the evening of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered uh, all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. So... Do you think that Egyptian man in the middle of that field was just there by accident? Do you think that guy got sick just by some random chance? Uh, I think we all know better, right? They 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 ransack the city. They take away the, uh, David's uh, wives and children and all the spoil. And they're on their way back. And this Egyptian gets sick, so they dump him in the middle, middle of the field. David arrives. They feed the guy. That guy's able to lead them right where they are. And David and his warriors overtake them, and they're able to recover everybody. He pursued the enemy. Some of you here today, it would be best if you stood up to sin in your life or the life of those around you that are pulling you down and discouraging you. You stood up to it and you pursued the enemy. Lastly, let's notice he praised God. So I got to studying this passage and I got to thinking, most of the book of Psalm was written by David. This was such a monumental event in David's life. Surely he must have written a psalm about it. And what do you know did. Look at Psalm chapter 18 with me. We'll finish here this morning. Psalm chapter 18 and verse number 1. Now, right after chapter 30 is chapter 31. And in chapter 31, Saul dies in battle. So the event, and in, in, in that's reported back to him in 2 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, that event of, of his uh, journey in Ziklag and the death of Saul... Uh, this psalm was written shortly after those events would have taken. In fact, if you look at the top of the psalm, it says, David's psalm of thanksgiving for God's manifold, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, that's in, in my notes, uh, above verse 1, Lord who spake uh, unto the Lord the words of the song in the day that the Lord delivered him uh, from the hand of all his enemies, that would be the, the Amalekites, and from the hand of Saul. Okay, So this is written right after that happened. Look at verse 1. Here David is praising God for giving him the victory in that day of discouragement. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord, speaking of 1 Samuel 30, verse number uh, 7 and 8. I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple. And my cry came before him, even into his ears." David took time to praise God because God had delivered him in his day of discouragement. Christian, if you're here today and you are discouraged, can I tell you something? God wants to deliver you just the way he delivered David. And we are so blessed that we have the formula of how to be delivered in his word. We must change our attitude. We must take action. And as God so leads in your life, you make sure you follow those steps. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Lord, this morning there are many folks here that are carrying many heavy burdens and many discouraging burdens. Some are possibly the result of their own wrongdoing and some are sitting beneath the wrongdoing of others and then some, Lord, are just the cycle of life and the hardships of life. Lord, however the various folks in the day of discouragement arrived there, Lord, I pray they would turn to You, that You would help see them through. Holy Spirit of God, would you comfort their hurting hearts? Would you help them, Lord, to muster up the energy to walk out of the valley? and stand on the mountaintop of joy once again. Lord, we know you love us. We don't always understand every aspect of your love and how your love works. But help us always to trust you. And never to waver in that trust. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, how many here this morning say, Pastor... I am going through a day of discouragement.